Hello and welcome. I'm Mark Bassingthwaite, and you're about to listen to the next episode of Alps in Brief, the podcast that comes to you from the historic Florence building in beautiful downtown Missoula, Montana. Uh, Over the years, David Bell, the CEO of our company, uh, and I have uh, gotten together and chatted periodically about what's happening uh, internally, uh, looking at vision and, and just trying to, to share some things. And, and the point of it has been, uh, I, I think it allows you as a listener uh, and, and our insurers to learn a little bit more about us each time. And I also hope to have the discussion of vision and, and how what ALPS does uh, in, in this regard, uh, educate uh, lawyers as to uh, the value of and a little bit about the process of uh, creating a a, a corporate uh, or a firm vision. So before we jump into it, I'd like to spend a little bit of time here and introduce David a little more formally than I have in the past. Uh, David Bell is the president and CEO of Alps Corporation and Alps Property and Casualty Insurance Company. Uh, David joined us here at Alps in 2012. Uh, Prior to that, he was previously with Allied World Assurance Company, and that's a publicly traded global reinsurance company. Uh, David was a founding executive and served as the chief operating officer. Uh, After graduating from uh, the University of Montana in 1996 with a degree in finance, uh, he began his career with the Chubb Corporation. Uh, David also co-founded and serves on the board of Grateful Nation Montana, a first-of-its-kind in-the-nation organization that provides tutoring, mentoring, and college education for the children of Montana soldiers killed while on active duty in uh, Iraq and Afghanistan. He has also appeared on NBC Nightly News, Fox and Friends, and numerous other television and radio outlets talking about the need to make funding education uh, for the children of fallen soldiers a national priority. And that's just an outstanding and excellent organization David has been involved with here. I'd also like to share that, that David has uh, recently been appointed chair of the board of the Maureen and Mike Mansfield Center. And this is a center that promotes better understanding of Asia and of U.S. relations with Asia. Uh, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk uh, about that a little bit here uh, shortly. Uh, so, David, always a pleasure. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Mark. I appreciate uh, you taking the time. I always enjoy our conversations about life and business. <laughs> it has been fun, and I've been surprised, pleasantly surprised, and I, I'm sure it's, it, you know, the, these uh, Vision podcasts have had a lot of uh, attention over the years, so it, it's, it's, it's always a pleasure to, to get back into it. I, I thought I would start out, you know, in a prior podcast, we uh, set up 2020, and going into 2020, we had uh, a vision and a strategic plan, and, and things were rocking and rolling. Um, and then, you know, like the rest of the world, we got hit upside the head with an unexpected global pandemic. Um, I, I would, you know, let's that, that start out. How did Alps survive? Uh, how did we do uh, in terms of how did this impact the, the vision? Uh, how, you know, just let's that, just explore, you know, the impact of all of this. Sure. Well, certainly 2020 was not what any of us envisioned. As we began the year this time last year, uh, the, the, the year threw us a lot of curveballs and uh, the nation and families and, and everyone curveballs. And it's been a it's been a, an interesting, at times tragic 
um, example of of, uh, of what can happen uh, unexpectedly. But in terms of in terms of the company, um, 2020 was and uh, is closing to be a very good year, uh, both in our strategic objectives, largely having been accomplished notwithstanding COVID and the fi our financial objectives as well. And so um, I think it gave us an opportunity to put some of our core values into practice. They look great on paper and they're fun to talk about when they're not being tested. Um, but a lot of what COVID included necessitated, you know, really leaning on those core values as, as our employees had uh, unexpected needs, as our insureds had unexpected needs and how we had to kind of plan for those and around those and, and line up in partnership with uh, our different stakeholders. So it was it was definitely a, an interesting year. Now, I certainly feel grateful uh, and f for us as an organization that we are not in the type of business that would have been directly in the crosshairs of some of right. COVID's more problematic after effects. And, and that's frankly, it has as much to do with luck as it has to do with anything else. So 2020 uh, almost saying with, with the tone of guilt was a, was a really good year for the company. Did it impact um, where we go in 2021? Did it, did it make some changes in terms of, of how you approach the corporate vision, the strategic plan? I think it, it, in terms of the strategic and financial milestones and and our vision of where we're taking the company, I, I really don't think that it that it played played a meaningful role in any detours. I mm -hmm. think it did forever change the landscape of a lot of a lot of aspects internally. I think the way that we that we had to rearrange our business, where we did it from, right. uh, to how how we handled the various different circumstances that our employees had and have had to coexist with, um, those some of those changes will will um, be permanent. And and so I think that it certainly wasn't a business as usual year by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but I do think we will emerge better in a lot of ways. Uh, as a company, uh, and I can't really think of any ways that we would that we would come out of 20 and into 21 weaker. Um, mm -hmm. and, and that was, again, I, I attribute a lot of that to the fact that we just aren't in the many types of businesses that have had such a profoundly problematic impact. Yeah. Um, and I think our employee base, I, I'd like to believe that our employee base is stronger in 21 than in 20 because we experienced some pretty profound things together yeah. and i think for evidencing that core values comment when people when people have an opportunity to see some of those values put in action mm -hmm. i'd like to believe that they emerge from the other side of that with a stronger bond with one another and more confidence in in the organization that they work for well let me comment about that because i, I you know speaking as one of these employees uh, that has gone through all of this, uh, I, I absolutely agree with you. The, my, my own personal experience was such that um, you know, this, this transition to the remote uh, work setting uh, for all of us for quite a while, uh, we, we had to accelerate 
new tools, you know, using Microsoft Teams as an example, and the communication uh, ability and in terms of just being able to see each other talk, I, I, it's, I, I felt closer now to everybody in the company than I have in, I'm coming up on 23 years here. So it really is, uh, I, I do want to underscore that. It, it, it's been a good thing. <laughs> Initially, my response was, everybody's going, oh, this is, we got to get used to it. I said, welcome to our world, as, as some of us there have been remote all along. But now it's, I, I truly do. I feel much, much closer as part. Okay, um, maybe a quick moment since we're on the topic. Do you want to share uh, some of your own observations uh, about what, what we saw in in terms of the population we ensure that, that we are in service to any any thoughts about that sure i mean we've seen uh you know we, we've seen the results of covid impact our insured firms at both ends of the extremes uh, for some firms they have seen Overall, the, the, the COVID dynamic result in more business and more growth. Right. On the other end of the extreme, um, particularly when the courts are closed and the economy is frozen up, there is not the commerce occurring that creates billable hours and it has created significant challenges in, in, and has created a great deal of fear uh, financial and otherwise, by particularly some of the smallest firms, and um, and so we've had to, you know, we, we've had we've reacted based on what what um, what our insured partners are coming to us with. We 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 came out, for example, for those um, that that found a, a a reduction or virtual for a time virtual elimination of billable hours revenue, right? We we came out and had. Um, had opportunities to kind of had to postpone premium payments, you mm-hmm. know, well before the state regulatory bodies entered the scene and started to require insurance companies to do that. We we did it. Um, I'd like to think because it was the right thing to do. Right. Uh, right away when we saw that it was going to be necessary, it was clear in the very early stages of COVID that this was going to create a problem for looks uh, for lawyers uh, and a problem paying premiums. Uh, both because of financial constraints and because of just the the the, uh, the tactics of being at in a home office and not being where your mail comes and, and all of that type of stuff. So it uh, that part of it was was interesting, and I and and I think the survey results that we've gotten back as we as we survey our insureds based on their experience that they've had with us each year uh, would suggest that we that our folks here. Who bring a great deal of compassion and empathy. Many people at Alps, our lawyers themselves, have been in the shoes of our insureds, uh, and so I, I, I'm pleased that, it, by all accounts, it seems like we've done that well. On the on, on the landscape of what our insureds are, are seeing from a claims perspective, we, we definitely saw a uh, what I call a significant reduction in the volume of claims. Yes. And we've actually seen a, a reduction in the severity of the claims that we did get. And so that will clearly be a temporary phenomenon, right? Yeah. When, when commerce is stopped and the courts are closed, then it's, you, know, you, you don't need to be a rocket scientist to figure out that you're going to have at least a temporary lull in claims activity. Um, now, there's the big, the big question is, 
as this thing ramps up, will it hockey stick up? And, you know, as businesses fail coming out the other end of COVID and tragically as marriages and other institutions fail, um, you know, will will we effectively, quote, make up for lost ground on the claims picture? I I think that there are there are pretty reasonable predictions on both sides of that ledger, but it's an interesting dynamic to be looking at and talking about. Yeah, well, time will tell on that one. Uh, When I think about how Alps has survived uh, or or, uh, navigated through the the, uh, pandemic thus far and uh, seeing, you know, wins and losses in terms of some of our insureds uh, from struggling uh, in some ways and and profiting very much in in other situations, uh, I really start to to believe that the one of the ways that we navigated this so well was because we had a a solid strategic plan. We had established core values that people um, understand and and live by. Um, our, our culture is important, uh, and and so to the degree that sharing some of the insights about what we've done. Um, I, I guess I say, how do I say, I'd like to talk about some of this stuff as a tool, as a way to give uh, firms that may be struggling a little bit uh, one path to try to move forward and, and come out of this. So uh, if we could take a little bit of time, just and, and briefly, uh, let's start with this whole concept of core values. Can I just, what does that mean to you, and and where do they come from? And, and perhaps, let, let me share, uh, folks, uh, the, the core values that, that drive us, that David has uh, talked about uh, already here today, as, or driving some of this conversation. We ask, is this the truth? Is it fair? Does it benefit our people and the company? And and it, does it help us make a profit? Um, so those are our core values. So again, David, you're, you're, how do we get to them? Why are they important to you? Sure. Well, I think the core values are um, kind of the lens through which we all hope everything else that we're that we're doing is filtered. And, you know, we didn't hire consultants to, I'm sure these could be worded differently. I'm sure there, there are, there are core values that could be added and there are ways that we could word the ones that we have better. I've been in, in the, in the learning sessions that many people listening to this have been with great companies that have come up with very different ways to approach this. And, you know, I, I'm convinced that there's no right or wrong way Mm -hmm. to do it. I, I, you know, I felt like, there's a lot of the golden rule kind of baked into this and you know, our stakeholders include the people inside this company who labor every day uh, on our common mission. Uh, It includes the people who we insure, right? We, we make a promise to transfer the risk of something bad having happened, the financial risk of something bad having, having happened from their balance sheet to our balance sheet. Right. And so Mm -hmm. we need to, we need to, uh, make that that promise clear in the contract. We need to represent it accurately. We need to fulfill it justly when our claims attorneys are working on the claims, and we need to have the financial stability to be able to fulfill the promises as well. And then, of course, we have we do have shareholders too, and so we have kind of different stakeholders. But I think these these four points, which we've you know, uh, you know we've been we've repeated so many times, I think most people probably know 
by by memory. But you know, is it the truth? Uh, is kind of self-explanatory, a, yeah. a bit self-evident. I, I do believe that you know relationships are the headwaters to to everything, including financial and business transactions. Right? With without without a healthy relationship, it's very difficult to get anything else constructive done. And without truth, it's almost impossible to have a healthy relationship. If you if you have reason to believe that the person on the other end of your negotiation or discussion is being dishonest, mm-hmm. it, it, I mean, I can't imagine how you can have anything constructive come out of that. And so we have to ask ourselves, is it the truth? Is, is what I'm telling my employees the truth is what our is what our people are telling our insurers the truth, right? Right. And so, um, so that is that that is in some ways so obvious that it could be glossed over. But boy, is it is it essential uh, in just everything that we do? Um, and and you know, the second one is is it fair? Uh, is it fair? Is it equitable? That's trickier because. It's obviously a, a subjective right. question, right? Fairness to one is not seen the same as fairness to other, and so, um, you know, when I when I look at that, is it, it's kind of thinking about it from my own perspective as a as a leader, as a flawed human being who brings the bias of my the experiences that I've had in my own life into my decision making. Many of those biases being unconscious, right? And so, you know. The question that I ask for for me and the decisions that I'm making and that I would ask others is, are you in pursuit of of fairness and of of equality? And doesn't mean that you'll be perfect all the time. It doesn't mean um, that everybody, when you feel that you've done something fair, it doesn't mean that everybody else will feel that way. In fact, I think a truism of leadership and, and arguably one of the ways that you know whether you'll be successful in a leader is if you're comfortable with the fact that something that you believe is the right thing to do will not be shared by other people who are important to you. I mean, you're yeah. just going to have people who believe differently about this. But I think if if we say, hey, look, I, I'm trying my best. I'm going to be truthful and transparent. I'm going to I'm happy to explain the reasoning for what I'm doing. And I'm trying I'm, I'm using my best efforts to seek fairness and and uh, and, and equality. I think if, if there's a genuine recognized effort to do that, there's room for shades of gray as people have their own interpretations. Yeah. So that's number two. Uh, number three, as you pointed out, is does it benefit our people uh, and the company? And by the company, obviously, it means our insureds right. and the various people, right? Um, but we, you know, we don't want to do something to serve people outside this company that hurts our own people. Um, and we don't want to uh, do something that helps or enriches our own people um, at the expense of of folks externally who we serve as well. And so, um, and it's also that's also a prioritization question, right? I mean, there's a lot of things to distract us. There's a lot of places that we can spend time and money, and you know, I think sometimes we just need to ask ourselves. Is what we're about to do gonna going to benefit our people and the company? Because if the answer isn't an unqualified yes, maybe that's not the best allocation of of, of time or financial resources. And then fourth, uh, which you know I, uh, I, I I include unapologetically, um, but also intentionally include last mm-hmm. is does it help us make a profit? Right. And you know we are we are a, we're a for profit business. Our ability to fulfill the promises that we make 
now and in the future is entirely dependent upon us being a profitable company that is financially strong. Um, but that being said, uh, it's not profit above all else. There are clearly numerous ways that this organization could have and could today make a lot more money than it is making. Uh, and if and if this were number one, th there might be an organizational temptation to do that. Profit is important. It is not the most important. And I think yeah. if you do everything else um, well, profit will profit will come. Uh, it might not come as much or as fast as some people would like, uh, but it is it, it is a function of where it sits in your order of priorities. What I like about this, and it's something I've learned as a result of, of my experience uh, uh, as an Alps uh, member, um, I, I think a lot of companies, when you sit down and they, they talk about core values and, and, and they list, these are the things we value, and it becomes this thing you put on the wall and you want to advertise, you know, it, and sort of pound your chest a little bit. You know, it, and it's... It, these are not things that that are, are are symbols. What I like about these values, I've transitioned from a list of things that we value to a list of things that enable us. They they become the lens, if you will, of how we view the vision, how we view who we are, how we view what we're trying to do. And I think that distinction, at least for me, is, uh, was, was very, very important. And I, I just share that with all of you listening uh, to, to approach core values from this perspective of, you know, how do we want to set the view of where we are going, of who we are. That's what core value is. It, it's, it's defining us, not defining what we value in the sense of, of you know, um, making a profit. Or, and that's important, but uh, or we value uh, diversity. Or we, and, and again, I'm not trying to dismiss any of that as relevant, but in my mind, there's a distinction there. So food for thought. Culture. Let's just take one or two minutes. How is culture important in this process from a CEO perspective? Uh, I, I've actually evolved as I've, as I've uh, gotten older in years and had more experiences, made, made, made more good decisions and made more poor decisions and, and lived with the consequences of both. Um, I've always been a very metric-driven person uh, and would probably define my, my default management style as uh, in, in a kind of a KPI terms, right, the, uh, the key performance indicators. Mm -hmm. I, I've recognized over the years that, um, that if you had to pick, um, culture is, frankly, not only more important than the financial metrics, but the financial metrics are more dependent upon a healthy culture to produce them over the long term than people, than I, than people realize and than, than I probably appreciated in the early chapters of my, of my profession. I mean, and then really, you know, when we, we've, we've, we've hired um, quite a few people in the last year or two as, as the company continues to grow and expand in different parts of the country and write more business and, in uh, in states all around the country, and you know, as culture, I, I think is sometimes um, the most misunderstood 
word that's that's commonly used and people say well tell me about your culture and i say like i i, I can give you kind of my culture speech but <laughs> if you want to know what the culture you know if, if if people have the opportunity to come to to, to the company where we're not all uh, but most of the employees are are based and you walk around the question that i that i've asked people to observe for themselves without any ability from by me to influence it is walk walk around look at the way that people engage with one another are they do their do their mannerisms show that they are genuinely interested in the discussions that they're having are they smiling are they able to have a little fun um, are they self-deprecating? Um, are they? Is there energy? Is it? Is it a? Is it a library or where it feels like a professional salt mine? Or is it? Um, is it a place where there's there's vibrancy and and laughter, um, but it's also professional and it's it's very intentional. And so I I think that if you have an organization where people feel safe, um, which has a lot to do with these core values, right? right. They feel right. safe because. There's, it's not it's not politicized. Um, it's it, it, there is a an expectation that what you hear is honest. Um, then I think it, it gives people the ability to be their unguarded selves and be comfortable. And that to me, that's culture. That's that's the culture you want because that's where you start to get true performance out of folks because right. they, they 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 feel. Um, that they can spread their wings, take some risks. And sometimes a risk for somebody is just putting themselves out there to suggest something where that might be uh, not in their, in their default nature. The way I describe this is, again, a member of the Alps family. Uh, culture, in my mind, a, a healthy culture encourages, enables, allows, etc., mutual investment so that all of us, uh, regardless of position, um, are able and encouraged to invest in, in what we're doing as a group, but the organization also invests in us. It's a two-way street. And, and you know, perhaps it's another way of saying, I, I, I think culture, when it's really working, is the... So I've talked about the lens. Core values is the lens that we look at vision and all this. The, the culture is living the, the, the vision. It is walking the talk of what our values say and are, and it is moving towards something, a common goal. Now, um, I, I'd love to hear your, uh, your comment on, on vision planning in general. You know, I, I, Alps is a corporation. We don't all sit down all of us and, and get together and, and what's the vision? Um, how, do, how do we get to our vision? Can you just give a brief overview of, of the process? What does that look like? Sure. I mean, there, it, it, I think in order to, to, to have a, a, a vision that you can communicate in order to get the people who you depend upon to make the vision a reality right. on board, you first have to have a very clear and honest reckoning with where you are right now. Yeah. Right. Don't you can't portray yourself as something other than than what you are or other than the state in which you are in. And so when you say this is this is this is this is who we are, this is where we are. And then this is where we're going. Uh, and this is why. Right. Because I think 
in private enterprise, too often the objective is more. Yes. And and um, more is a lot of things, but sustainably inspiring to a pop, to an employee population, it is not right. Mm-hmm. People need to understand what's in it for me. Why why should I be as excited about the vision casting and where we're going? You've told me where we are. You've shown me where we're going. You've outlined some way station milestones in between here and there. Tell me why I I should be fully bought in to this pursuit because it, it, it is easier to just do what we're doing right now well and not really venture out with all of the risks and work that are involved with with going out onto the vision timeline. And so I think one of the, the, the key approaches is to bring clarity to what those points look like and and bring transparent explanation for the reasons because you are asking people to do more and or do different than what they are doing right now and um and people need to know why they should do that Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i and i can also share it includes uh sort of measurable uh metrics you know it's one thing to say well my vision is to be the the most profitable uh family law firm in in you know greater Montana or something. But if you don't have a path, you know, we need to sit down. And I, I can assure you folks, uh, we do. Uh, we, we, you know, that's, that's part of this strategic planning process. But um, David, I, I want to give you a little bit of time, if, if we still have some time, uh, to, to talk about the, the Mansfield uh, Center. Uh, but before we get to that, can you just, uh, and, and share what you feel comfortable sharing. You know what, what does the future look like for Alps? Sure. Well, the, the, in terms we of the are, long-term vision, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, so so Alps, it's got such a great three decades of history. Right? Yeah. It started in the wake of the SNL crisis when there was a genuine crisis of of a complete lack of availability for legal malpractice insurance, particularly for the smallest firms. Right. right? Alps was one of a handful of kind of white knights that, that, that were created by state bars mm-hmm. in order to solve this problem. Um, obviously, the market has, has evolved in, in different cycles over the last three decades. Um, the crisis went away. We've had times when it's been very, very competitive and at times where it has been um, very problematic from a loss perspective. And so, you know, as, what else has always been is a, is a direct carrier a direct insurer of legal malpractice kind of the geico or progressive right. of <laughs> of lawyers malpractice and it's far more common to have this these commercial lines of insurance traded through brokers or, or agents um, and i do believe that brokers and agents provide an important value proposition oh, yes. for mid-size and larger commercial risks in general um, but they 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 added they add a very significant cost as a percentage of the full transaction. And so um, I think one of the reasons why we've been uh, as successful as we have been, particularly in the last you know, five to 10 years, um, is because we've been able to, to, to take the economics that traditionally go to brokers and agents and 
and share those economics between insureds and the company, really to, more to the benefit of the insureds. We didn't make this up. It's how Progressive and Geico right. permanently disrupted the personal lines industry mm -hmm. uh, several decades ago. So we are not pioneers. I think we've done things differently and in yeah. many ways done things better. Um, uh, as it relates to commercial lines, but that's been our, our journey. So, so in, in, in brief, Mark, to answer your question, the states that were the states that we are not in, we need to be in. Uh, there are only a, a very small number of states that we have no appetite to be in, right? But for the 47 states where we do have an appetite, the states that we're not in, we need to be in. The states that we are in, we need to have critical mass in. Yes. There, there are states where we're in, but we're not a substantive player. I mean, there are mm -hmm. states where we are the undisputed largest right. LPL carrier by policy count in the state. And there are multiple states where we are that. Um, but there are also a lot of states where we are. We have a very small market share. We need to have critical mass. And then eventually, as as we gain more critical mass in places where where we don't yet have it, we can start to, 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 to look laterally and and offer products other than legal malpractice right now we do legal malpractice cyber and epl employment practices liability but our our attorneys who buy from us the arguably the most important risk transfer product that they buy they trust us directly with and so we can bring to them offerings of other insurance products uh, whether or not our balance sheet specifically is protecting or not that's a that's a step and then and then eventually um, we have we have ambitions to to get into other lines of commercial business beyond legal mm -hmm. malpractice. It could be accountants. It could be miscellaneous errors and emissions. I mean, we are now what I'm describing now. I would put in the intermediate to long term time yes. horizon, right. not in the short to early intermediate. So, but those are you know when we have vision, you know, I, I have a a timeline illustration. Um, that I'm sure both you and I are picturing in our minds right now because we've both seen it, yeah. that, that shows for the purpose of employees, this, these are the steps along our path going to this place. Here is why we're doing this. This is why we think it's, it's important. And I think just as important as that, and, and I guess I think the next observation, that maybe the final one that I'll offer will kind of wind in almost all of your questions you know, for me, I think it's important to acknowledge what we are and what we aren't. Um, I think some companies love, and I'm not criticizing this, it works for them. Uh, they, they create almost a cult-like atmosphere, right? Where you just bleed the color of the company. And I think that that's great and cool uh, for some companies. You know, I, I don't, I don't believe that for for what we do, right? We are we are a lawyer's malpractice insurance company, right? So we we are not ending homelessness. We are not feeding right. um, uh, hungry kids, right? If the to be sure, the money that we're making enables us to be generous to others, and Absolutely. that is a significant priority for us. And we we have uh, I think we've had the ability to do a lot of really wonderful things. Yeah. Yeah. with that but our core business isn't digging wells in impoverished nations and so i think it's i think it's not only okay to me it's important to say you know this is this is a a job a career it's a place to um 
to labor alongside of people who you trust and hopefully who you enjoy. And I think the reason why people at Alps, why we have so little turnover and why, why by all of our measuring techniques, people seem to have a, a very positive perspective of being here, is because they can get up and look in the mirror and whether or not legal malpractice was necessarily the job they dreamt of when they were a, a, a wee lad, right? they, they can nonetheless look in the mirror and say, we're doing great work, right? Yeah. We, we, yeah. We, we, we create our product honestly and ethically. We sell it transparently. And, and the instructions that we get from the top on down is if we owe it, we pay it. If we don't owe it, we fight it. Yeah. We don't really have to get much more complicated than that, right? right. right. If, if we've made this promise, keep it. If we haven't made this promise, then we have an up, we have a responsibility to the other stakeholders to, to, to dig in. And so we do dig in and do battle and, yeah. uh, on, on, uh, on occasion. And so, so that, that I think, um, is, is an important aspect of who we are because it lets people feel, um, it lets people contextualize the purpose of, of their, their role here. I, I tell people often that I view, I love my job. I love the people I, who I work with. I look mm -hmm. forward to it every day. It is not my life. I take vacation. I, I largely view the, the time that I spend here as giving me the means and the ability to do other things and with other people who I care deeply about. So if you are here 24 seven and on the weekends, you should not be. Right? Yeah, I is, agree. It should not yeah. be your life. It right. should be an important yeah. part of your life because of the hours we spend together, but it should not define yeah. who you are. And it yeah. definitely should not be your identity. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, the, those are kind of the, some of the aspects of, uh, of, of life under the Alps umbrella. Yeah. I, we're kindred spirits in this regard. Uh, if we have a little bit of time uh, and you know, if you need to go, David, you need to go, but, I would love if you have a few minutes. Um, you you were sharing uh, prior to starting this the uh, the Mansfield uh, Center, uh, and I suspect a lot of people really have no clue what the Mansfield Center is and and what incredible stuff is happening here in Montana. So I I would love if you could just give a few minutes and share what you'd like to share and, and fill us in a little bit about uh, what's going on with the Mansfield Center. Sure, sure. I mean, so I've been on the Mansfield Center board for oh, probably 15 years. I mean, this Mansfield Center was created, Mansfield Center and the Mansfield Foundation was created by an act of Congress, actually. Um, oh, wow. you know, Senator Mike Mansfield was, I think still to this day, the longest serving Senate president in U.S. history. Um, you know, he and I actually probably don't share ideologically many of the same priorities but that's the beauty of this whole thing. I mean, Mike Mansfield was, he had kind of epitomized the, the quote, good old days of, you know, bipartisan friendships, like deep lasting uh, friendships with people who felt very strongly in opposition uh -huh. politically to, to aspects of Mike. So, you know, I, I recently became the chair of the, of the Mansfield Center board uh, mainly, I, I had a ton of time for the executive director. She's wonderful. Um, and I believe that, that we're in a very, we're all, we all know that we're in a precarious time in our country. We, we all know the dangers that are around us. Yeah. But I also think that there is a national yearning for bipartisanship, for civility, 
for cooperation. And the Mansfield Center is an ideal national and regional too in the Rocky Mountain West, but a national vehicle to channel those types of, of things. So for example, we have you know uh, Dr. Fauci coming up um, in an event that we plan. We've got the, the, the chair of the Problem Solver Caucus chairs. Um, and if you're not if you're not familiar with the, the PSC, um, which goes under quote, no label sometimes, it's worth a Google P- PSC Problem Solver Caucus. Fifty Republicans, fifty Democrats in the House. Um, they are a force uh, now uh, for key legislation. Really needs to involve the Problem Solver Caucus. And you have it's just such a an underreported, wonderful example of what is actually going on. Um, which is, you know, people, you know, the two chairs, a Republican and a Democrat, who probably don't agree on anything politically. But when you listen to these two people talk, it's very clear that they that they definitely trust one another, that they, I think, soundboard and value the opinions of one another as much or in some cases more than, than members of their own party. Um, and so, you know, there are opportunities, I think, to harness this yearning um, I we just did a call with the U.S. Chamber. Uh, I'm on the, also on the board uh, there and the Mansfield Center. And so my hope over the next 24 months is to try to play some small role in tethering together um, organizations like the Mansfield Center and the Chamber and the, and the uh, Bipartisan Policy Center and these organizations who have this we have to work together um, uh, mission uh, because I think the op- that there is an opportunity right now when even where people even who aren't interested in politics recognize that we have to start to treat one another uh, better. We have to start respecting the opinions of people who we don't agree with more. We have to talk about things. And so um, I, that, that's why I'm, I'm, I'm kind of currently kind of somewhat jumped in the deep end of Mansfield Center activities. I think that there's a a good good opportunity and I'm, I'm i'm privileged to be a part of it well i'm i'm really pleased that you you shared all of this um i absolutely agree with you in terms of, of the political situation we're in and and the amount of uh discord is going on it's just just crazy but uh just hearing this it brightens my day i mean it so does <laughs> it, it's, it's just I, I i can just speak as a citizen at this point and, and say you know it's hard it really is hard to find the bright spots of hope and this is one so i really yeah, along, appreciate hopefully we'll see more examples I, <laughs> I i believe that, that that media social and mainstream is yeah. the greatest threat to our nation's mental health that exists today and so yeah. um, I, I just i hope that there will be more and more opportunities to witness the current examples yeah. of healthy bipartisan dialogue that's going on and more perhaps just as important lots of opportunities to create make and be a part of new ways for for people to to who have who have been camped for a long time to extend a hand and be friends it doesn't mean you have to agree right right? it just means that you have to uh just just listen for a bit and maybe a little give and take you know negotiations uh everybody listening to this podcast are, are they're likely in a profession where negotiation is a central part of of, of what they do, and um, 
give and take is an absolute essential ingredient. We, we need more of that in right. our political discourse right. as well. Yeah. It should not be a, a whoever's in control when the pendulum swings that way yeah. Um, yeah. As, a, as an absolute. So thank you, for Mark, for that. Well, you're welcome. And, and thank you. Uh, this is where we're going to need to leave it, folks. I know David has got uh, quite a busy day. Uh, David, it truly, it's always a pleasure to get together and spend a little time chatting. Um, I, I, I thank you for, for fitting us in today. Uh, folks, I hope you found something of interest and value uh, in this podcast. And as always, if uh, any of you have any additional uh, thoughts about uh, podcast topics or something you'd like to hear about, somebody you'd like us to try to visit with, please don't hesitate to reach out. You may reach me at mbass, M-B-A-S-S, at alpsinsurance.com. So that's it, folks. Bye-bye. Thanks again, David. Thank you.